it's a bit complicated now, isn't it, with all the time changes? Changed in the U.S. mainland, but not here. Hasn't changed yet in in uh, the U.K. I'm not sure about Switzerland, Claudine, but whether or not did you change already? You change your time? Not yet. No, it's coming. So it's good that everybody finds their way. Wherever you are and whatever time it is, it's just this time, just this moment. So, so let's uh, sit together for a few minutes and, and settle and gather, gather ourselves. What a great blessing and opportunity. To be together, to sit together, to be in relative peace and safety. Time is passing. Breath after breath is past two years of pandemic has passed and yet continues. As we continue being together at this time taking this time for inquiry and also for sitting together fully offering ourselves to this small bit of time as time goes on As we sit, it seems like there's no time at all, and yet we feel time opening in front of us and 
trailing behind us forever. This infinite expanse of being just now in this moment. How do we relate to this precious time? As our fullness of being unfolds, are you really here now at this time? Who or what has arrived? verse of the robe. <clears throat> Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, 
I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. all beings sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? I am a week into immersed in, having plunged into the initial ceremonies uh, as part of the flow of Dharma transmission. So... <clears throat> It's asking uh, a, a lot of me, but offering a lot. And one of um, one of your friends from um, the Open Door Sangha in Madison, Kathy Spann, yesterday brought a quote, which I had read, of course, but I hadn't th thought about in a certain way. And, she offered us some prompts in a group, and this quote is from my teacher Blanche Hartman's um, book of her collected uh, teachings and and reflections. Um, and it's a it's a chapter, a very brief chapter called "Respecting Things." And so I'll read this this piece. She wrote, "We Zen Buddhists." have a saying that with a blade of grass we create a golden Buddha that is 16 feet tall. That is our spirit. So we need to practice respect for things. I don't mean we should accumulate many leaves or grasses to make a big statue. But until we can see a big Buddha in a small leaf we need to make much more effort. How much effort? I don't know. Some people may find it quite easy, but for some people like me, great effort is needed. Although seeing a large golden Buddha in a large golden Buddha is easier, when you see a large golden Buddha in a blade of grass, your joy will be something special. So we need to practice respect for things with great effort. So she's referring to some things that are echoes of old teachings, this thing about a, a blade of grass and a 16-foot Buddha. These are old references. When she says, to see a golden Buddha a 16-foot golden Buddha in a blue eye of grass or in a leaf. He says, that is our spirit. What, what is the spirit of Zen practice? And she says, and to do so, so we need to practice respect for things. Not the accumulation of things, but respect for things. Blanche had a very strong devotional quality to her practice, which is part of what drew me to her because I felt a resonance in that same way. And she said, until you can see a big Buddha and a small leaf, we need to make much more effort. And this is the, the sort of conundrum that Dogen talked about. If our Buddha nature is always present, everything is the nature of Buddha, everything is awakening, manifesting, but we don't realize it. So the realization takes effort. Creating Buddha nature, no effort, because it's not created, neither is it destroyed. And Blanche says, how much effort? I don't know. Some people find it easy, she said. But for me, talking about herself, requires a lot of effort. Same for me maybe for you. And she said, seeing a golden Buddha and a 16-foot golden Buddha, if you see a big statue, it's easy to be inspired. 
But when you see a large golden boot and a blade of grass, <clears throat> or in our recent photo workshop, you know, in a, in a wave or the reflection on an agave leaf or some small thing, your joy will be something special. And she doesn't say your happiness. It's a joy that's something special. So we need to practice respect for things with great effort. Practice respect for things and people and yourself. Great effort. There's a, an old story that comes from uh, even the overlap of Buddhism and the Hindu tradition, but it's recounted in the Book of Serenity, which is one of the koan collections in our Zen uh, ancestor stories. It's case four. And it's often entitled, The World Honored One Points to the Ground. The World Honored One is one of the things the Buddha was called in early, early days. <clears throat> and Indra, as some of you know, was uh, a god in the pantheon of, of Hindu uh, iconography. So here's the, here's the case, the little story. Once upon a time, the world honored one was walking with gods and devas and humans when he paused. He pointed to the ground and said, this is a suitable site to build a temple. The god Indra then plucked a blade of grass from nearby and stuck it in the ground at the spot where the Buddha had pointed. Indra declared, the temple is built. The world honored one smiled. That's the story. There's a verse that the great Chan Master Hong Ji wrote in response to this. <clears throat> so you can imagine in this story, maybe you have it in your head, where the Buddha's walking along and he says, I think it's a good place to build a temple. And then this special being from outside of time he said, uh, comes and plucks a blade of grass and puts it down and said, there you go, it's done. And the Buddha was like, yeah. So here's Hong Ji's poem. The boundless spring on the hundred plants, picking up what comes to hand, he uses it knowingly. The 16 foot tall golden body, a collection of virtuous qualities, casually leads him by the hand into the red dust, able to be master in the dust from outside creation, a guest shows up. Everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is not clever as others. So this is one of those old poems that you read it and you go, what? <laughs> Maybe, is it just me? Or, you know, like, what, what are they talking about? <clears throat> A boundless spring, is it starting to be spring where you are? Uh, even in England, you've got daffodils, right, coming up. And uh, picking up one coat, comes to hand, you know, Indra picked up just a blade of grass. He or she use, uses it knowingly, respecting, it didn't casually just picked it up. And then suddenly this idea of the 16 foot tall golden body, a collection of virtuous qualities. Casually leads him by the hand into the red dust. I love the red dust because man, if you've ever been to Molokai, <laughs> the dirt is really, really red. And when it gets dry, the dust gets everywhere. And it just, it gets, but in this case, dust is talking about the things of the world. Just, oh, everything that we, um, and the next line says, able to be master in the dusts, to navigate this world. The world is bounteous, it's spring, picks up something ordinary light of grass, but it's a 16 foot tall golden Buddha body, these virtuous qualities, able to navigate in this world. And from outside creation, in other words, Indra, from outside creation, Buddha nature, it's not created, from outside our ordinary minds, outside the way that we construct a world, the narratives we hold, outside of your thoughts, outside of words and letters and ordinary teachings, outside of creation, a guest shows up. 
And then a very special line, everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is not as clever as others. Doesn't matter what you understand, doesn't matter how much Dharma you know, everywhere life is sufficient in its way. So it starts with, this spot is good to build a sanctuary. <clears throat> Indra takes this blade of grass, sticks it in the ground, sanctuary is built. Very direct and clear. But we shouldn't underestimate its depth. You offer someone something. You help them. You simply pay attention to them. You don't ignore them. You have a hand reached out, you listen carefully. Something very simple and a sanctuary is built. And then in the poem, Hung Ji says that odd line, everywhere life is sufficient in its way. And we look on, around the world today and we look at the news and we see what's happening and take in all the immeasurable suffering around us. Hong Ji's comment, you know, it might sound kind of ridiculous or insensitive, like he's completely unaware or indifferent. Because how could you say such a thing? Everywhere life is sufficient in its way. But actually, this, the things we see around us right now, the intolerance, the conflict, the shortages of food and water, the, all the horror, was exactly true for Hong Ji in his world of 11th century China as well. It was bad. And it's an important reminder that, you know, these ancient masters that we quote and talk about, that I'm bowing to over and over every day in this ceremony, that they lived in real time and in a real place and confronted real challenges and in their own lives and in the societies that, that they lived and taught. And it was from within those challenging times and those contexts that they practiced and realized the way. So Hong Ji's words, life is sufficient in its way, comes from a place of an awakened perspective. the ordinary eyes would have perceived the world he lived in as primitive and vastly insufficient from our point of view. And of course that's what we see when we, we look around also. Remember Blanche said, so we need to practice respect for things with great effort until we can see a big Buddha and a small leaf. We need to make much, much more effort. How much effort? I don't know. Some, some people find it quite easy, she said, but not for me. <laughs> to see a golden Buddha and some great, amazing thing is quite easy, but to see a large golden Buddha and a blade of grass, your joy will be something special. Your joy, your freedom, it's the same as awakening. Your awakening will be really great when you can see in each thing, in each person, in each situation, the 16-foot golden Buddha body. Because I don't know about you, but when we see injustice or suffering, we want to reject it. We see it as wrong, as something that should not be, and there's a whole lot of truth in that. Absolutely. Injustice and suffering should not be perpetuated and condoned. And our basis in the precepts, in ethical and moral conduct, is one of the primary foundations of our practice for that very reason. Spiritual practice begins, Zen practice begins, your practice begins in the moment when you no longer exactly go along with samsara. Grasping at everything that's pleasant, pushing away with everything that's difficult, blaming or justifying your way through life, ignoring what you don't understand, unwilling to meet it, 
I'm not talking only about the difficult cycles of suffering that, you know, we see around us and to which we're reacting, but, but your own personal suffering, the stuff we carry inside and that we feed inside and the ways that we contribute to the cycles of suffering that we're embedded in. Remember, Blanche said, I don't mean you should accumulate many leaves or grasses to make a big statue. She's not saying you're going to practice and accumulate goodness, so then you'll be a really good person. It's not about that kind of practice. But until we can see a big Buddha and a small leaf, until you can see what's true, not good as in preferable or what you prefer and want, unless you can see reality, Buddha doesn't mean some lofty thing. This is life as it is. This is reality. Unless you can see reality, we need to make much more effort. Practice is not about achieving, accumulating. It's meeting each thing and realizing that each moment and each circumstance is the ground for the arising of a temple, of a moment of freedom. Even if it's as small as a blade of grass, a small leaf. You know, I think, I think many of us are drawn to practice because of this. Our lives are shaped in large part by forces we don't recognize. And our lives are shaped by cycles that are invisible to us. And I don't mean just like psychologically unconscious. That's easy but truly invisible and mysterious forces. This is the essence of spiritual practice. That's what makes it a spiritual practice or a place where a religion opens, if you'll even allow that. And as long as we're blind to these invisible, creative, mysterious, fearsome, generative forces, We're never going to be free from the cycles of unnecessary suffering. Waking up begins with the faith that there's another way. And what is the way? Well, Blanche says it's respect for things with great effort. And to begin that, at least my experience is, we have to do what's really hard which requires a special kind of effort, which is to accept everything that seems unacceptable inside and outside so that we can meet it on the ground of reality. I don't mean accept it like, oh, okay, that's great. No, I mean meet it on the ground of reality. If we don't accept it, if we can't be intimate with it and meet it, then there's this distance, this separation, this gap, which means we can't truly encounter our lives and each other. There's a veil. You know, let alone apprehend the embodied inconceivable, which is our life, and to realize what is fully. Only then can we begin to respond in some ways, which is beyond ordinary reactivity, beyond our fears, our hatred, our despair, our confusion, our, our violence, our disgust, our terror, on and on. And the Buddha taught that the only path that can bring us some liberation or some freedom in that context is already present in this moment. This place is sufficient. This awareness you have is sufficient. There is no other door. Every other door is a fantasy. And that is our spirit that Blanche is talking about. So we need to practice respect for things.
What is your spirit in practice? Do you respect things, your life, people in it, yourself? Do you practice with great effort in terms of deepening your respect for each thing? Not great effort to achieve something, to get somewhere, to look like a good Zen student or whatever, or to fix what you think are all of your problems. What does this mean, this spirit, this effort? Now, if these questions live in you, then please come forward. Please raise your hand. Yes, hello. Um, this uh, was just amazing what you were saying, Flint, um, because the part you said about, you know, when you were, it, it's so hard for us to even imagine like Indra, you know, what is Indra and the, this outside of creation. And then you said that, that, you know, there are these unseen forces they're always at work in our lives, but we don't, we can't, you know, we're not aware of them at the time. So in 1998, I did a painting that was acquired by uh, my friend, Linda Page, and um, that's the only piece she ever purchased, but it was called Looking for the Edge. And it's an abstract painting of the grass. And it's like, the edge where it would part like the path or, and so I never you know when you started telling this today I thought that's a perfect example because I had no idea what that painting meant really it came it it was a, well okay it was a dream image yeah and where did that come but from it came from the unseen forces that are working is it how many years ago is that that's 1998 and someone and else saw today. it. <laughs> someone else saw it and appreciated it. Yes. And so it moves, it stays alive. I just I just had to share that. That was just knocked me over. And you're also um, communicating something that our many of us who whoever engage in art, which you're is a way to let those unseen forces move through whatever medium that you're using that you may not know how it comes. Sure. Thank you. We have Ra next. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know what what I'm gonna say. Neither do I. Um, but but something in what you were saying. Um, I've I've been with. Um, somehow, like the heartache of seeing the destruction that's possible and placing my shoes carefully before I walk into my workroom. Mm -hmm. Somehow the two together Um. Yes. And there's no way to explain, but that's the spirit of doing something seemingly inconsequential, placing your shoes carefully as you walk into your workroom in the face of inestimable horror. It's an appropriate response. And hearing, hearing the bird song, 
and I don't know, it, it brings forward, it brings something forward in me. Yes. Um, if you hear it. I mean, I mean this current, the current mm -hmm. level of suffering that we're aware of. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. It, 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 it brings forward the, the, the more commitment mm -hmm. in those simple things. Um, and, and last week, your, your presence stayed with me for days. Oh. Um, not, not so much what you were saying, <clears throat> although I've been with openness and opening and appreciation, which I think is what you were saying. Yes. But it was, the, it was your presence. that was really resourcing for me to to carry that sense with me with the way you were open and here and appreciative um and and there's just some something about how to that and the suffering and and the heartache and not getting a, like identified with the heartache mm -hmm um and keep opening just th th that's what's possible not denying it and not identifying with it mm. meeting it and that's what requires great great effort it really does hey and that uh spirit is what stayed with you that's in whatever way it might have moved through me then it moved through you and we realize oh you know when we chant in the beginning vast is the robe of liberation a formless field of benefaction. That's the spirit. And wearing those teachings, wearing them, you, you take took it in your body, we realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. doesn't mean all the problems are solved. It means you place your shoes carefully in the spirit of the way you'd like to be in the world because it's what you can do. I think what you were saying about this uh, was it sufficient? Like this, this is sufficient. Everything is sufficient in its own way. In its own way, and yeah, I don't know. I can't even. I can't even do it. But it touches something in me. I can't do it with my head. That's practice. What you just said. It's beyond conception. It's beyond what you can explain. That's why I call it the embodied inconceivable. But yet it sets something in motion. That's practice. The other stuff is psychology, philosophy. That's practice. You're expressing it very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, we have me next. <laughs> Hello, me. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'll lower my hand. There we go. Yeah, that was just um, lots of feelings have stirred up during your talk. It was quite um, moving. Um, I remember when we first met today and you asked how I was and I toyed about saying whether I'm saying good or I've been really good at anxiety today. And there's, there's something about when I'm anxious and what you were saying today, it just made me think of when I'm not intimate with things, anxiety arises. It's like when I'm, um, and when the anxiety arises, I come back to things very intimately, very closely, just really look at things and notice things. And, and also like meeting you or meeting anyone, it's like that being attached to some outcome or, or like if I meet somebody that's going through some kind of devastation or terrible thing, it's like just letting go of the outcome of that meeting and just meeting what's there. But when there's a gap, that's when the anxiety arises for me anyway. How do you when close I, the gap? 
Sorry, what was that? How do you close the gap? Just by, I mean, like today I noticed how anxious I was and and I had a picture in front of me and I just stopped and really looked and really just got with that picture and everything about that picture. And, and I do that with, with people, just really settling into being the, the feel, there's a feeling there, there's a, a an intimacy, a, a just letting go of what I want. And are you willing to do that with the part of you that's anxious also? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, I've noticed it's quite big today. And, and so I've been kind of getting close again. And yeah, it's... But it hasn't stopped you. Stopped me. Which stopped me how? from speaking your buddha nature is quite sufficient as you feel anxious as you speak about the gap as you speak about these things that you understand that you reflect on there's something sufficient in the midst of all that yeah yeah and is it's that kind of trusting i trust something i trust something to like i always have a fear of coming forward my heart was pounding before i came here and I have to let that wave go you know it comes up and I let the wave come down and then I'll then I can meet you once the waves kind of you know settled and then I can kind of because I can't listen while my ears are pounding (laughs) you know and then it, it just settles and I breathe with it and I get next to that anxiety I sit next to it and I kind of mother it in a way I kind of but that's really my my point is you take care of things, including the anxiety. The anxiety is not just a problem to solve in the way. That's another thing to treat with respect. Get next to, and I think that was the shift for me. When I got next to the anxiety, I spent years trying to get rid of it, not liking it. Why have I got this anxiety? And soon as I got- Right now, how is it? Yeah, right now it's, it's kind of sitting next to me and it's kind of wanting me to hold its hand a bit. It's it's quite it's quite nervous, but it knows that I can handle this. It knows that I've got this. Yeah. And so that's actually you know, nothing wrong. There's just all of this life flowing. Yeah, it's like a readiness, isn't it? The anxiety is almost like a readiness in me that just wants to come forward and it gets a bit too excited and it gets a bit scared and it has all its own ideas and beliefs and history. And and I could let it block me. I could let it get in the way. But it, like, like I said, if, if I just sit beside it and with it, it allows me to, I can come forward. Good. But it blocked me for a long time. It blocked me. But it, it's that intimacy you were talking about, that intimacy with a blade of grass. The When we get really close to things, that's when have everything... Been, have you been intimate with me? Hmm. Now? and was that sufficient did that touch the thing that you came forward because i respect and appreciate your coming forward so much did it touch the place that longed that mm. step forward even though you're anxious was it met mm. yeah i think it just wanted to meet i think it Good. wanted to come forward Good and meet I mean it's still there it's still kind of really quite loud and you know and the other it'll always be there it'll always be an opportunity always a possibility it may not be what's leading you Mm. just let it be part of the garden that's it isn't it letting it be part of the garden yeah letting it be part of the of it all the whole the whole thing thank you thank you so much for your wholehearted response Thank you. And and for navigating all of this, even while you're working. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Ed next. Okay. Um, First, uh, much gratitude um, to you, Flint, as well as everybody else who has, has spoken today. Um, as usual, my mind is blown on a number of different levels with these uh, inquiries. Um, and 
after my meditation this morning, um, prior to coming into this, um, there was there was talk in my head. The spirit was was talking to me after the meditation and, and sitting with some things. And um, as is my want, sometimes I, I just I write things down. So um, I wrote down what was what was in the conversation that I had after meditation, and I'm just going to to read that. Um, okay. So I don't falter with trying to say again what was already said. So the first thing that came to me was to continue to affirm the benefit of just sitting. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a place of centering and learning and refuge. No matter the circumstances, internal or external, sitting works. There have been a lot of times with anxiety in my mind lately, um, sharing that with a few others, I guess. And sitting helps to focus on life as it is, just this moment, the only teacher. I can recognize that the anxiety is based on future possibilities which haven't happened and have no guarantee of resembling the anxiety scenarios in any present moment. As I sit with that and approach the edges, the weight and sting does reduce. It goes away when inquiry, inquiry reveals that its root is fear of judgment by others or self and being afraid of being looked at um, or valued as a failure or a diminished value and with that being based on perceptions expectations and restrictions from others i've also seen that there are times when i engage with anxiety sort of a barrier to keep from losing my mind um, <laughs> going to those edges um yet still experiencing and sometimes wondering what to make of it all when there are moments when the anxiety is like a tidal wave and then other moments where every footstep is like being bathed in sunlight and the energy and essence radiates from everything experienced with the senses. Perhaps this is where having an ordinary mind allows for no need to make sense of anything. Just let go and let it all be. And what do you notice in your body now having shared that? Um, exhaling. It's like an exhale. Um, and I'll, I'll say something, and it's going to be a pebble tossed into the pond, and you tell me what the ripples are, okay? okay. I'm just going to say a simple thing. I, I hear what you have to say, Ed, and what your voice is important. What happens on its own immediately before you think of it? What happens is... Um, the first immediate reaction is, this is what I, I needed to hear. This is what I need to know. Um, and that's coupled with thank you. Aside from any content, and your content's beautiful. But what I heard is a longing that someone would recognize that you have something to say and that your voice matters. Yeah, yes. And so now I can feel it in your body when you say it. Okay. So again, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm with you. We have Mirren next. Well, um, difficult. Mm. Difficult in what to set, what to kind of uh, see life these days as, <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Um, I certainly have um, images where people have no choices, no choices. And when you have not a choice, then the only choice is acceptance because there is no choice. Um, I realized how difficult for me choices are. Um, 
What, how did you choose to raise your hand and come forward? What, what's really calling you? Just an image of acceptance that I have feeling, feeling how people must feel inside a bomb shelter where they cannot move and where they cannot have any choice but acceptance. You cannot move. You cannot leave. They don't have ordinary everyday choices. But they, have choice. they don't have any choice. They have choices. I mean, they, no. cho they chose to be in the bomb shelter. They choose to care for each other. They choose to survive. There are choices. But I understand what you're saying. There's this immense and massive and horrible limitation. There is what? A horrible limitation. Yes. I mean. Absolutely. And that's always been possibilities for humans and unfortunately will always continue. And how do we come to understand this as a human being and carry on at all? There's something in what you're asking about that, I think. Yes, it's, uh, oops, sorry. It's um, what to, you know, what can you, oh, this is, um, is always, is there something I can do kind of thing? And mm -hmm. somehow feeling that obligation and somehow feeling other obligations mm -hmm. and, um, and, kind of feeling some kind of, uh, not comfort, but kind of um, rationalizing, n not doing things that I could do. Yeah. Well, your practices may not be very satisfying, actually. Unfortunately, with the amount of difficulty that we see, what we can offer sometimes doesn't feel very satisfying, but we still arrange our shoes. We still do our practice because I, it's really an immense responsibility. I, I think that, you know, part of what I'm reading between the lines as you speak is you're realizing practice isn't a luxury or something we do that would be good or helpful. Really, it's this immense responsibility to hold something to hold a spirit for those who can't hold it. We're holding something that other people can't, and it may seem mysterious or ineffective. And one of the things we have to come to terms with is our impotence and our inability to make a difference in a way that we would hope to make a difference. And we have to have some confidence that our practice and our willingness and what we can do in a small way affects these larger mysterious forces. Otherwise, we just despair. So what you're saying is, if I manage to feel peace, I am putting peace out there. It's when Thich Nhat Hanh said, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. It so feeling my inside peace is, as I said, and, it's just and, expanding and, beyond the edges. Hold peace that others can't hold right now. Hold it for them. This is the gift you can take care of. Okay. It may seem very small, but that's what we have, you know? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's 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 a very um, very frustrating too. Excuse me. It can be very frustrating as well. But th but you, just your willingness to step forward and speak, and to ask this kind of question and to take it seriously. That's the spirit of practice. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> there you are, Becky. I thought we were past time, and so I'll make it short. I've got a couple of moments. I, I, this morning in Zazen, I was 
completely surprised by a practice edge that's one of the sharpest ones I've had since I've been intentionally practicing. Um, and, uh, and what surprised me was absolute terror. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I didn't know it was working. I, I recognized it when it came. Um, I, you know, uh, responded to it in, in all the ways that I have with pain and other things to try to sit with it and, and all of those things, but it overwhelmed me clear through the Zazen sessions. Um, and, you know, the shirt I had on was really smelly when I, when we were done. So, you know, it's like, it was big. Um, and you were so really, I, really, really alive. I was very alive and a bit overwhelmed, but I recognized quickly that my day would change, which was that what I could do today was to sit with terror and to try to, not just try to, to invite it to, to try inside of myself with it, to recognize what it was there for, for me. Yeah, to get to know yeah. this kind of powerful aliveness called terror. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's it, like I say, it wasn't a stranger to me, but I hadn't realized it was still lurking about. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so anyway, I, I think much of what you were talking about this morning is part of what I've been going through a process of across the morning, of um, all the ways that it affirms so much that that the importance of being just this moment, of being just this moment, um, and of many many other aspects of the teaching that just flowed through me in relationship yeah. to it. I'm going to give you a practice to take with you since we're at the end of our time. Yeah. Which is a, a kind of a koan. Sit with, investigate, be curious about the relationship between overwhelming terror and overwhelming beauty. Sit with those and get back to me on that. Thank you. As we intone the four practice principles together, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, Life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you for your effort and practice for uh, treating each other in this process with respect and for offering your great effort. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Flint. And thank you all so much for being here today and for all the ways that you support Appamada. And if you'd like to make a contri contribution to Appamada, please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And here you'll see an opportunity to make a donation of Adana to teachers such as Flint and Peg, as well as other teachers. And you'll also see an opportunity to offer Dana, to sign up to offer Dana either one time or monthly. 
So uh, please do take a look at the website and all the wonderful things that we have on there. Lots of wonderful events and we have Zazen every morning as well. And just take a look and uh, come join us if you wish to. Thank you all so much. And if you'd like to continue to meet and share, then please do uh, join myself and, and others and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes on the porch. I look forward to seeing some of you. Thank you all so much.